Here in John chapter 3, we have seen that John has already presented to us in this third chapter very clearly the need for the new birth, the need for a person to be born again, the need for a person to be born above. This is not debatable. God makes it very clear we must be born again. And also in this chapter, he has made it very clear that in speaking about being born again and the need of being born again, that God expressed his love in sending Jesus Christ, in sending Jesus Christ from the Father in order to give love, that is the love of God, in order to give light, that is in the darkness of our sin, in the darkness of this world, and also to give life through his Son. So chapter 3 has already given to us much instruction upon God and salvation and its need, and that is true today as much as it was back in the day of actually Adam, the need for salvation and looking to God and indeed his sovereignty. Now as we continue in the remainder of chapter 3, first of all, which is verses 22 all the way down to verse 36, just to prepare you and hopefully you read it ahead of time before we get there. We'll be continuing on with the ministry of, and also in my opinion, the humility of John the Baptist. We are going to see his humility, we are going to see his ministry as things wind down in his ministry. But first of all, we come to, in the very first couple of verses here that I've just read, we come to the subject matter of baptism. And uh, I know the context. We will talk about that in just a second. But we are brought to this subject of baptism. And so I am going to spend this morning's message dealing with the subject of baptism, which, again, for many of you who know this subject and maybe have been baptized, it's very easy for you to turn this off and to go for a snooze until after we get done with the message. But I'm trusting that you will not do that. Because the, bapt the subject of baptism must, I believe, be clearly understood. And I believe there are many misunderstandings. First of all, just in relationship to salvation. And uh, when I was born into this world, I was baptized as an infant, had nothing to do with it, knew nothing about it. And yet the denomination, the religion that I was in, uh, saw it as a necessity for salvation. And there are others today who see it as a necessity for salvation. And it is also significant, even if you don't understand it in that realm, and you know that it's not for salvation, which it is not, there are still other questions that arise. And uh, I think it's gotten lost in the shuffle. That is, why do we get baptized? Why do it? When uh, to do it? And then, who should be doing it? Who should be baptized? And and, and so forth. And a lot of questions arise in that subject area. And then here we are, certainly looking at a text that we're approximately 2,000 years removed. And so we're removed from the text, and does it even have any relevance to us today? And even the book of Acts, does that have relevance to us today? And certainly the cultures have changed over the years. So it's a subject matter that I believe we absolutely do need to understand. Thus, as you can see in the outline, what I'm going to deal with this morning is, first of all, the context of verses 22 to 24, because without that, we have no basis of studying anything else in relationship to it. And then secondly, we'll look at the distinctions of baptism. We will look at the significance of it and talk about some practical outworking of what the scriptures do teach. But let's first of all look at the context which is the right thing to do, verses 22 to 24. He starts with the expression in verse 22, after these things. That's pretty self-explanatory. He's used that expression already in the book, and it points us back to what he's already been dealing with. That's what? In chapter 2, for example, he dealt with the Passover. So this is after the Passover. He has dealt with, in the scriptures, in this immediate context, with the cleansing of the temple. So it's after that event has taken place after the cleansing of the temple has taken place. He has also dealt with it 
in this situation, particularly in chapter 3, the conversation with Nicodemus. So when he says after these things, he has concluded the cleansing of the temple, if you will. That is the first cleansing, as we have explained. He has gone beyond the Passover, and he has also been involved and basically finished with the conversation with Nicodemus about being born again and how a man must be born again. And then we will see that he's going to proceed here to talk about the ministries of John the Baptist and of Jesus. And indeed, there will be some overlapping of the ministries. We see that in verse 22, for example, when we see that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing, and I'll explain that in just a moment, in verse 22. And then in verse 23, there's still John the Baptist going on. So John the Baptist is involved in his ministry, and there is some overlap in it. And yet, in our immediate context, I also want you to see that we are moving from while there is an overlap to a transitional stage in which John is going to fade off the stage and in which Jesus Christ is going to become the center of the ministry. For example, just look at verse 30, though we will not expound it today. It's a very well-known verse. It says, He must increase, but I must decrease. So as we're progressing through John, and he wants to center on the ministry of Jesus Christ and on bringing people to salvation, he still has this overlap with the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ moving toward the center being on Christ. Let's remember that John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the pointer. We saw that even in the quotation that really came out of Matthew in the response of reading this morning. He was the one that was to precede the Lord Jesus Christ and was to point people. We've seen that in this book already, where John the Baptist turned around and said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So John's ministry was to point people to the Messiah. And we have seen that Jesus Christ is that Messiah. He is the one that was sent. He is the only begotten Son, verse 16. He is the one that was sent into the world. He is the one that you need to believe on in order to have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. There are not multiple ways. He is it, folks. It is right there with the Lord Jesus Christ. And John's ministry was to point that out. And what we find here in this text also is Jesus and his disciples, verse 22, moving after he's told us after these things. Jesus and his disciples, if you look at 22, came into the land of Judea. Well, literally, that's into the countryside of Judea, we could translate that. And because what's happening is he was in Jerusalem, which is actually still part of Judea. So he's in Judea already, but he was in the area of Jerusalem when these events have already been taking place. And he's kind of moving out into the countryside of that area. Why is he doing that? For two reasons, according to verse 22. And the two reasons are, one, to spend time alone. You see that? And there he was spending time with them. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ and his disciples. And while our concentration is going to be on baptism, let me just take a moment with that aspect. They needed time alone with him. He needed time alone himself. And by the way, as you look at it closely, I think it's talking about not just spending a minute or two with him. This is the idea of really spending time, considerable time with him to be ministered to by the Lord. And I think that's something that we need, especially in this day and age. Our schedules are so busy, and we are so, uh, if you will, task-oriented, and we are involved in so many things, and oftentimes we do not individually, individually, Get alone with the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, if you know the Lord is your Savior, there isn't a person in this room who knows the Lord is a Savior that does not need time alone with the Lord. Husbands, wives, children, parents, children, whatever the case might be. There needs to be time spent alone where we can get alone with Him and just pray. Alone with Him and just read, not because I'm told I have to read, but because I want to be alone with the Lord, because I want to spend time with Him and get to know Him. 
And we read so many things as an example. But how often are we spending time alone with him reading the pure milk of the word? Not what everybody else has to say about the word. And time alone with him, what else? To meditate. To meditate. To spend time just thinking about what we read. You can sit down and read two chapters today and get nothing out of it. Sometimes you can sit down and read half a verse, and the Lord really uses that when you think about it, meditate, and spend time on what that means and the significance of the revelation of who God is or the revelation of what he's trying to tell you needs to be in your life and my life. So if the disciples need that, I just want to challenge us, we need it as well. We need time alone. We need time to spend alone with the Lord to be by ourselves. And uh, husbands, you ought to be taking it yourself, first of all, but also making it available for your wife. And especially with children, sometimes that's difficult. And you need to assist and help so that your spouses have time alone with the Lord <coughs> and your children. <coughs> that ought to be part of your training of them. But the second thing we see, obviously, in verse 22 is not only that, but also that he was baptizing. He was spending time baptizing. Now, I do need to move ahead a little bit because I think it helps with clarification. Would you turn to chapter 4, verse 2 of John? Why? Well, I will read verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, it says, Now therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now look at verse 2. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And I do think that helps us, even with the literal interpretation back in verse 22 of the verse, when it's referring to Jesus being there and baptizing, I think the clarification comes in chapter 4. And apparently the Lord Jesus Christ was approving of it, and he was supervising it, but his disciples were probably actually carrying out, uh, because of what he says, the baptisms. But nevertheless... Jesus Christ and his disciples are involved in baptizing, and so is John, as we come to verse 23. John the, uh, the Baptist is baptizing. It tells us where he's baptizing. And by the way, I do not know where those locations are. I have looked up, and there's been some suggestions, but we're not really sure. And that is, again, because now we're removed from that, and those names are not there. So... We know, obviously, it's somewhere in the Judean area, but that's about as far as we can go. Why were they there, though? Look at verse 23. I think that's going to help us a little bit. It says, because there was much water. They didn't go there because there was just a little water. They went because there was much. And I will say this already. <clears throat> if you follow the ministry of John the Baptist, it was very common for them to go down into the river. And it was very common for them to look for much water. Why? I do think that that was the idea, that they needed a lot of water because not just of the quantity of the people, but because, and for the most part, it was probably the type of thing of immersion, though there was some pouring and so forth, and we'll deal that with that a little bit later. And who came to him? Many people were coming to him to be baptized. They were coming out, as we know, as we follow the ministry of John the Baptist. And when did it happen? Verse 24 helps us a little bit, and I believe it's purposeful here in verse 24, to recognize that John had not yet been thrown into prison. And I think John, the apostle, puts that in there to help us to have the concept of the timing so that we see that it does not conflict with the, the other three Gospels. And that's why specifically he put that in there. It was sometime uh, after the ministry of the Lord going into the wilderness and sometime before John being sent to prison. That's the time frame. That brings us to a discussion of baptism. Why? Well, the Lord and his disciples were baptizing in verse 22. And then in verse 23, we see John was baptizing. And there may be some of you saying, yeah, Pastor Dan, but there's no Christian baptism there. Well, just give me a moment, please. But stay with us. The fact is there was baptism going on. And so the first thing we need to do is make some distinctions. when We talk about the subject of baptizing or baptism. Here we see that Jesus was baptizing, and his disciples, or I should say more specifically, his disciples were. And John was also baptizing. So there are two different areas here, and the Lord's got to come on. The scriptures do speak of different types of baptisms. 
So let me first of all just name them to you and tell you some things that I think are going to help us when we get to the significance. First of all, there is the baptism known as John's baptism, or the baptism of that of John the Baptist. That has already been seen in this book. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 18, very briefly. We see there in that verse, uh, it's verse 19 actually, that this is the witness of John when the Jews were sent and the priests and so forth asking him, what were they doing? They were confessing, he was confessing he was not the Christ, and from there forward, we see the ministry of John. What was he doing? He was in there, verse 28, baptizing. Uh, John was baptizing beyond the Jordan. So we see that. Also, in our reading this morning, very significant, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, you can turn there if you want. I'm not going to turn there myself. But it says there in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, that John was calling out to the people. And he was saying, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. A couple of things I want to note. First of all, this type of baptism was not Christian baptism. This is not Christian baptism. This has not happened after the resurrection of the Lord. Secondly, another thing that we can generally note about it is that it is a water baptism. That this is a situation where water was involved. Thirdly, it was for or for the purpose of repentance. That's significant. Why? Now, he was calling for repentance for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Why was John doing that? He was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one to prepare the people in what way? He was to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom. And they were to be involved in what? Repentance. Now, that's a term we throw around. Repentance was more than just sorrow. It was more than just regret. It was more than just embarrassment for having been caught in sin. It was more than that. It was not worldly sorrow that he was calling for. Now, I won't go there, but in 2 Corinthians, when we expounded that text to you, Paul pointed out that there is a sorrow of the world. That is, I got caught in my sin, so I feel bad, and so forth. That's not what he was calling for. He was calling for repentance, whereby it involved a change. Now, I want you to hold on to this and make a note of that. He was calling for change. The people were to have a change of direction. They were to have a change in their thinking. They were to have a change of mind, if you will. And they were also to have a change of conduct. The way they lived their life. He was calling, when he was calling for repentance, he was calling for a complete change. Not just, yeah, I feel guilty about this, and then going back to it. That's not what he was calling for. He was calling for a repentance in regard to sin to prepare for the Messiah. And that is why, by the way, when you get to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he calls them vipers. He said, you're not coming here with a genuine change. They were coming out of curiosity to see what in the world is going on with this guy's ministry. They weren't coming here for that type of change. So that was one type of baptism. Apparently, there was a second type of baptism, and I say apparently, and that is that was happening uh, before we talk about Christian baptism, and that's a second distinct one, and that is a proselyte type of baptism. Would you turn with me to Matthew 23 for just quickly a second here? Matthew 23. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verse 15, I want you to see that there were proselytes. And I'll explain that to you in a second. But in Matthew 23, verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Even with the baptism, remember, they were coming out and John saw right through it. You weren't coming for a change. You might come to the baptism and even be baptized if they'd be allowed, but not with a repentance, not with a change. And he says, you hypocrites, because you have traveled about the sea, and here's what they did, and land to make one proselyte, or if you will, convert. 
That's the idea. Proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell. What a statement. As yourselves. They would go about the countryside. Why? To convert someone from idolatry, literally, to Judaism. That's what a proselyte was. They were a convert to Judaism. Now, there is no scriptural support that I am aware of, and I tried to study that out, for the baptism of proselytes. But apparently, they did do it from historical writings. And they did do it because, think of this, if nothing else. When John the Baptist came on the scene and he said, repent and be baptized, they were very familiar with baptism. And I don't think it had to do with the Jewish washings of the Old Testament, which were for the priest and so forth and so on. But they were familiar with it. Why was that? Because of proselyte baptism. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'll give you just one quote from it. Uh, Jay Delorme says this. He said, baptism, and I quote, was a familiar rite, one that already existed before the ministry of John the Baptist. So that was for proselytes. Now, what was this baptism? Number one, it was water baptism again. Number two, this was for conversion to Judaism. What did that mean? It was a change. Their life was changed. They were no longer going to be an idolater. They were going to be a worshiper of Jehovah God. There was a third baptism. What is that? The baptism that we noted back in John chapter 3. The baptism by Jesus' disciples. We find that that was true. What would that be? Well, let me quote to you from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and then I'll answer it because I think the Scripture does it itself. In John chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. Um, what did I say? I mean, Matt, Matthew chapter 3. And that's not the one I want. It's, where is it? Uh, hold on a second. Jesus, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, not 3. Chapter 4 of, of Matthew. Here's what it says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does it sound familiar? Yes. Same message as John. Repent. And so I would say to you that what you find in John chapter 3 and verse 22 is that John, uh, Jesus' disciples were baptizing not for Christian baptism, but again, the same type of baptism that John had. Water baptism that was to reflect the coming Messiah, and in his case, in the presence of Jesus Christ. Then there's a fourth one. What is that? It's the baptism of Jesus. Now stay with me. We're going to get to the significance. The baptism of Jesus. That is found just for your own reference, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, where Jesus himself was baptized. Now, clarification. Jesus was without sin. The Scriptures say that every place. There was no need, from the point of view of sin, for him to repent from anything. That's why the text in Matthew explains itself. Why? John didn't even want him to be baptized. John says, why are you coming to me? I need to be baptized of you, not you of me. But Jesus says, permit it to be so for now. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. What are we saying? Again, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He came to be an example and one other significant thing. He came to be identified with man who is a sinner. Not that he was sinful because he who knew no sin became sin for us. But so to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus Christ was baptized by water as an example to us, but he was without sin. Again, water baptism. That one I would classify as a special or a unique type of baptism. We got two more. Next, we got the baptism. Now, listen carefully. This may theologically get some of you going to study later on. I would say the next one that we have is the baptism of by Jesus. What do you mean the baptism by Jesus? This is spiritual baptism. This is not done with water. And I want you to see this, first of all. Matthew chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 again of Matthew. And look at verse 11. 
I don't think this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think this is the baptism with the Holy Spirit, personally. Who does the baptizing? I think it's Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. As for me, this is John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he who is coming after me, who is that? Jesus, is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. That's Jesus. And what does he say? He will baptize you. How? With the Holy Spirit and fire. So I would say that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is done by Jesus. And if you look at some other texts, and I won't do that because I'll get lost on it today. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on your own. We are baptized into the body of Christ. How, are we, how does that happen? Jesus places us into the body, then he places the Holy Spirit into us. And that's his down payment. That's his evidence. That is not a water baptism. That is when the believer is placed into the body of Christ, and I hope you're still with me. We have John the Baptist baptizing with water, proselytes with water, Jesus special but with water, Jesus' disciples with water. All of them involve change. All of them. This one is of the Holy Spirit. But then finally, and by the way, in case you're wondering where my thinking is, I believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit happens instantaneously when a person comes to Christ as God sovereignly works in the heart. But then we have one left. What is it? The one you're waiting for. Christian baptism. That which is to be carried out today. Where's the mandate for that? Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, this is a distinct baptism. It's not the one of John the Baptist. It's not the one that Jesus' disciples carried out. It's not the special one that went to Jesus. It's not for a proselyte. This is what we know as Christian baptism. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, after the resurrection of Christ, you know this great commission. Go therefore, and, and here is the main verb, by the way, make disciples. And then there's three participles there. How do you make disciples? Number one, you go. Number two, you baptize. And number three, you teach them to observe. That's the essence of the, that, that, those verses. They had to make disciples, and part of making a disciple of Christ is that they were to go and baptize. Now, specifically, and by the way, here's a great verse, in case you didn't know it, on the Trinity. Why? Because they were to baptize in the name, singular, of what? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Singular name, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This was a different type of baptism. They were instructed to do that. It was a water baptism. How is it distinct from that of John the Baptist? It looked back on the Messiah as the one being Jesus Christ. It not only did that, but it looked back as the one being the resurrected Christ. And they were to go forth with the message. And by the time you come to the book of Acts, guess what? The message is, what, are we, what must we do? And they're pricked in the heart, chapter 2 of Acts. They must believe and be baptized. Did baptism save? No. It doesn't say. But the message, and to make a disciple of Christ, and let me just, I'll say it again later, but that ought to be the, the point on infant baptism. That's not even a debate in my mind. It is so obvious to me in Scripture, in order to be a disciple, in order to believe, you've got, you can't be an infant, and so forth. So I'm not even going to address that at any length and so forth. And I know there's many that still hold to that opinion uh, of infant baptism in relationship to circumcision. They had to believe. They had to be a disciple and so forth. And that's what they were to go forth. And what we find here is, is water baptism in Acts chapter 2. We find that. Was it distinct from John? Yes. I'll give you another reference. In Acts chapter 19, they came across some disciples. Whose disciples are you? What baptism were you associated with? That of John the Baptist. They said, wait a minute. He looked forward to the one that would come. That's Jesus Christ. 
Then what happened? They baptized them in water. Then what happened? The Holy Spirit came in to them. That's the spirit baptism. So there's still that distinction. So when we talk about baptism today, we are dealing with, and I want to emphasize moments that we have, Christian baptism. Christian baptism. And I want to say some things about it regarding its significance. Number one, it's a water baptism. No one gets saved by going into water. No one ever did get saved by going into water. No one. Salvation is by grace through faith, through Christ alone. All of them alone. Period. It's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something else. All of the baptisms by water were public. Whether it was a proselyte, the proselyte was dealing with a public issue. Whether it was John the Baptist, it was by the riverside. Whether it was Jesus when he got baptized by water, it was public. And whether it was Christian, when you go through the New Testament, folks, it was public. Do you know that we have changed that aspect of it? You know how we've done that? By building baptistries. That's the truth. They were public. And in effect, that's another thing the church has done. Now, I know there's a practical aspect. Don't shoot me yet. I shouldn't even say that in this day and age. But you know what I'm saying? I've got to be careful. You know what I'm saying? There's a place, and I'm going to talk about that. But in reality, we've taken something away from baptism by doing that. It's a great thing to go out into the public and do it. They did it that way all the time. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Number one, there was no such thing as a silent believer. You couldn't just say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and go hide in a room and not talk to anybody and not let anybody know about it. And there are many people professing Christians today who no one even knows that they're a Christian because they keep it to themselves. But they've trusted in Christ. It's called easy believism and it probably isn't even salvation. Second, another part of the significance is it always announced change. Always. A proselyte was announcing, I'm no longer an idolater, I'm a follower of Jehovah. Listen, you know how significant it was for a Jew to get baptized by John the Baptist? They knew what a proselyte was saying. They were coming as the people of God and saying publicly before everybody, you know what? My heritage doesn't save me. I'm a sinner. Did you notice what it said in Matthew? They confessed their sins openly. Everybody knew what they were saying is that I'm not holding on to Judaism. I'm changed. That is why John the Baptist turned around to the Jewish leaders and said, who told you to come, you hypocrite? You're not changing at all. He knew because God gave him insight into their heart. They were announcing they were no longer, no longer sinners. How about a Christian? A Christian is announcing to the world that I am no longer dead. I'm alive. God's made me alive. I was dead. Now I'm alive. They're announcing to the world, and that's the way it should be, publicly, that I belong to Christ. My life is changed. I am no longer my own. No longer. And there are too many Christians, professing Christians, who still belong to themselves. I am doing my thing, my way, regardless of what anybody says. You better question whether you belong to God. You've been bought with a price if you're a Christian, and you are not your own if you're a real Christian. Not at all. You want to see the significance? It's announcing a new life. Go with me to Romans chapter 6 quickly. This is important, folks. We talk about Christian baptism. It is very, very significant. 
And whether you believe Romans chapter 6 is spiritual or, or water baptism, irregardless of that, I want you to notice verses 3 and 4. I should pick it up. Yeah, I'll pick it up in 3. 3, 4, and 5. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, or Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Now watch this, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, this is a conclusion. We have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, and here's the whole point, it's a changed life. Walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. What is that pointing out to? A changed life. You don't get baptized in Christian baptism, and then go back to your old lifestyle. That's the sign of a hypocrite. That's the sign of someone who never really was a Christian, just like the Pharisees. And I will tell you, there's been people baptized in this church, probably by me, who have just gone back to their old lifestyle and maybe really were never changed. It happens, in, I'm saying this church, but it's every church. And it's part of it is we've lost the significance that it was a public announcement. It was an announcement of a changed life. It was an announcement of a new life. It has no saving value. There is nothing saving about baptism at all. That's a, that's a reason why, by the way, you don't baptize an infant again. I got baptized as an infant because the church that I grew up in, which was Roman Catholic, believed that you only had so many days and they didn't want you to get a baby to die during that time, so they made sure they were baptized so they could get into heaven, or at least into purgatory. It's got no saving value whatsoever. It always, listen, listen, baptism always followed faith. Always. It's obedience. There is no gap between believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and waiting six years to be baptized. You don't find that in Scripture. That's why, if you even take a close look at the message that the apostles gave, it didn't have saving value. There's so much evidence in Scripture. Look at what we just talked about. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's nothing about baptism in there. Then why did they connect it all the time, like even in Acts chapter 2, and say, what must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. Why? Baptism is the evidence. Right away. It's the evidence that you do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ publicly. Let me give you a couple of quotes. F.F. Bruce says this. The concept, now listen, the concept of an unbaptized Christian was not even entertained, end quote. There's probably some in this audience who have professed faith in Christ and, didn't get and haven't been baptized yet. Why? Scripturally, you should. Matt Wehmer says this. I read that whole book in about, well, before I get back from California. It had to do with baptism. He says this. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ was to publicly declare one's own allegiance to Christ and one's desire to follow him as a disciple. Another quote, same person. In the New Testament... A person was not baptized for only one of two reasons. Either they did not want to become a Christian, so they were unsaved, or he did believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but was unable physically to be baptized. It's the only reasons. There was no such thinking as an un baptized believer. He goes on to say, I love this one, 
baptism without faith was meaningless because it's faith that saves. And, he says, faith without baptism was unthinkable. It was not even presented as an option, end quote. What's that saying? That's saying if you truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, baptism followed. And I can say to you, honestly, I know you've heard this testimony, so pardon me for those of you that have heard it. But that's what happened in my life. Pastor Stringer knows that. I called him up in the office. He thought I was calling up because I was having a heart attack or all of these problems. And I, I said, can I meet with you? He said, sure. What's up? I went into his office. I remember his exact words. I don't know if he does. But I went into his office, and I said to him, hey, I just read in the scripture I've got to be baptized. When do I get baptized? And he turned around and said, is that all you wanted to meet with me for? <laughs> you know, but he, because he, he thought it was an emergency and so forth. It was. The scripture said be baptized. Issue was done with me. I just called up and said, how do I do this? When he said, wait a minute, we have a class. You got, I got to wait? Yeah, okay, fine. But it wasn't, it wasn't this long wait. It was, it's time to be baptized. That's what the scripture says. Where's this concept of somebody believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't want to let anybody know, and I'm not going to be baptized. Nobody's pushed me. Wait a minute. God should be pushing you if you belong to him. Dunn said this, that without baptism, one could not be said to have been truly a believer in Bible times. Again, you heard what I said. Does baptism save? No. But the concept of not being baptized was, what, what, what are you afraid of? What is the problem here? Was your heart changed? Do you belong to Christ? Belief and baptism go absolutely hand in hand. And I hope I made that clear. If you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. Period. Where? By water. Now, just some practical issues in closing. Because it's going to raise all kinds of questions. Let me try to answer some and then I'll stir up more questions that I'll get anyway. But here it is. The idea of infant baptism, I've already addressed that. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. That's, that, that, to me, is not even an issue. And if you really want to talk, we'll sit down over a coffee or something and do that. But I'm not going to spend time on that one. I believe that there should be no significant, and I say significant, no significant separation between the time that you profess faith in Jesus Christ and you, you get baptized. And yes, this church, and I personally do believe that it should be by immersion because it best represents what has happened. You've been buried with Christ and you're living with him. Okay? That motive, motive and so forth, people debate about that. I think that's best represented that way. But there shouldn't be a significant gap. Number two, uh, or number three, there needs to be an essential understanding and belief of what that means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? I think that has a practical application that we face here in a church. And by the way, so does every other church. I spoke with a number of pastors purposely on this while I was away because I knew the text that I was going to be dealing with. What about children? What about is there an age? There is no age in Scripture, so we need to settle that right away. Is there a practical age? I think there is. Now, you're putting the limit on it. Yes. But I think if you look through Scripture, you'll find out there were practical ages for a number of things, Old Testament and New Testament alike, in different areas. The significant thing to the Board of Elders here and to this church is do they really have an understanding of what salvation is? Have they really believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And there's some other problems. What? There's second and third generation Christians, and they don't even know. Many times they're being baptized. Why? Because their parents want them to be baptized. Because their parents are insisting on it being done. That's not coming from them. Also, there's no real evidence. They grew up in a Christian home. They know all the words. They can repeat it back to you. That's happened in my family. They can repeat everything back to you. Are they saved? Parents want to immediately say, of course they are. How do you know? What's the evidence? and so forth. Very few times is it the young person that wants to come to the Board of Elders and wants to do it on their own. So does there have to be a, an age and so forth, and what do we do? This church has set a policy basically for practical reasons only. And what is that? Around junior high age, it used to be higher. 
we've re-examined that. But around junior high age, why do we pick that? Does that mean somebody seven years old might not genuinely be saved? No, it's possible. We've heard testimonies. But you certainly want to make sure they get a good understanding of what salvation is. You certainly want to make sure that it's of them and not of their parents. It's of them and God moving in their life. And so we put some of those things. Now, is that hard and fast? No. And I want you to hear that from me. No, we look about junior high age, but we look at individual situations, and we'll deal with that situation. But I'm going to give you something else before you leave. So as far as age, there is no age in Scripture, but there is the concept of believing first, and that should clearly be there. I think we've lost the whole significance practically on the concept of the public baptism. I really do. We're brought in into the church. Sometimes relatives come, sometimes they don't. That was unheard of in Bible days. Unheard of. Baptism was an announcement, and that's what it is. It isn't getting saved. It's an announcement that my life has been changed by God, and I am now living for God. And when they put their when they got baptized, their life was on the line. A proselyte was announcing, I'm no longer following idolatry, and their life was now on the line in business with their neighbors, with everyone. When a Jew came out and announced in the presence of John the Baptist that they wanted to be baptized, they actually got thrown out of their families. They were put out of business. The public knew what they were saying. How do you do that today? I think it's lost its significance. Now here's something. Chew on this one. Here's where the questions will come. I wonder what would happen if we changed the way we baptize people. And we said, number one, we're always going to go out into the public. Is there a place for the baptisms in church? Of course. They've done that in time because buildings have come up and so forth. They wanted to have it available and so forth with the weather circumstances and all of that. There's a practical aspect to that. I understand that. But I wonder what would happen, and we've had them, whether you get baptized in a lake and so forth, but it was done publicly. Now listen, and then we did this. You were really trusted in Christ? Yes. You want to be baptized? You realize the significance of that? Yes. I want a list of all of your friends. I want a list of all of those that you work with. I want a list of all of your relatives. And we as a church are going to send an invitation and tell them what you're doing. And then we're going to announce it in the paper. And we're going to say, everybody's invited to a baptism at Fellowship Bible Church. And here are the people that are now saying, and we'd put that in there, they are no longer going to live for the world they belong to Christ and are going to live for Him. I wonder how many people will get baptized. Now, we leave it up to people to, be, to announce it. What I'm saying is, you see how we've lost the significance? I want you to see that if you've professed faith in Christ, and by the way, Jesus Christ, again, is the only way, truth, and life. If you've professed faith in Him and you have not been baptized, shame on you. And if I've just brought conviction to you, praise the Lord. You need to be baptized. And if you are submitting to the elders because of that, I believe that's one of those situations where it is biblical. You're submitting to the leadership because they're trying to determine, is it real? Is it not real? But when you're ready to be baptized, there shouldn't be anybody that you're afraid to invite. No one. And you should invite as many as possible. Why? Because when you come into the waters of baptism, you should be saying to the world, I am walking in newness of life. Perfection? No. Will you fail? Yes. And I really think the Christian church needs to get a better look at baptism and the significance of baptism. And I think when we do bring someone to Christ, remember, making a disciple is baptizing them. Get that into their thinking. And if you're in the baptism class right now, praise the Lord. And if I've just scared you, <laughs> and you're in the baptism class, praise the Lord. Because it's got to be real. 
It's got to be real. And I want you to know that that's what it means. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, there were some other practical things. I'm going to have to stop. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, let us think about that. Christian baptism is a water baptism. What are we announcing to the world? That, yes, I was an idolater. Yes, I was dead. Yes, I was in the world. Yes, I belong to the world, but Jesus Christ is my Savior. Not because of me. He saved me because of what he did. He bore the penalty in price of my sin on the cross. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And by God's grace, I am going to walk in newness of life because I belong to him. You know, if we did that, then the world would really be able to look at us and say, you know what? You got baptized. You invited me. You told me your life was changed. Why are you cursing? You told me that your life was changed. Why are you a drunkard? You told me that your life was changed. Why are you beating your spouse? You told me that your life was changed. Why are you lying that way? You told me that your life was changed. Why are you a gossip? You told me that your life was changed. Why are you this way? You said it. You announced it. Oh, it's because it's okay under the Christian umbrella. No, it's not. That's what baptism has. Baptism has the effect of announcing to the world. And I think we need to get back to thinking about who we are and who we belong to. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that John called people to repentance. Even the Lord's disciples called people to repentance and a changed life. And Father, now under Christian baptism, we find in the book of Acts that the disciples did the same thing. In making disciples, they went forth, but they also baptized. They called people to a change of thinking, a change of heart, a change of life. And I pray, Father, that even right here, it'd start with us, that we'd be able to get the significance of baptism to be what it should be. I pray, Father, we'd realize there is no such thing as a silent disciple. There should be no such thing especially with an adult of a person that's professing Christ and has not been baptized. And I pray, Father, you'd work in hearts to help us examine to see whether we're in the faith that, Father, we realize the significance and the importance of eternal things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.